Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another great Blue Report. We're going to talk about the August Blu-ray releases in this episode. We're only a, uh, a week or so late on that. <laughs> so, well, we're here to do it. So, uh, do we? Uh, is is it a good uh, good perspective on uh, the month of August on Blu-ray? How does it look? <laughs> well, the you know it's. It's not the best month, honestly, but uh, there are a few bright spots here and there. But I'm not going to lie to you and say that it's the best month we've had. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm glad they're still putting them out there. I'm glad that throughout the pandemic they've been able to hold this thing together. And I know a lot of these distributors are having a a tough time uh, getting the review product out is a problem. And actually getting – I know a lot of the the upcoming films and extras have been – they've had to rethink their plans. Uh, A lot of the extras are being done via Zoom. Uh, It's interesting. I think we talked about it a couple of months ago. The Lady Eve came out, and they had about six different people on it. And it had the little blocks, you know, like you would see on these uh, conference calls or whatever. And they just put that on the the Blu-ray. And it was interesting. It had like James L. Brooke. I want to say – I can't remember who else was on there, but it was it was like a panel discussion of, about the Lady Eve, and they had uh, recruited quite a few people who are well known, well renowned directors and such. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so good good stuff uh, that they're been been able to do. But yeah, I know uh, some of the restoration efforts. I know big news this past week. Uh, speaking of catalog titles, Godfather Three, of course, getting a recut. And apparently they had some trouble. It was a little tough for them to work during the pandemic to continue getting those materials together from what I was gathering that they were having to do. Uh, They were in the middle of gathering all these materials when all this lockdown started. So but they were able to complete it, uh, which is surprising. It's good. Yeah, I I expected Godfather 3 because when Coppola was doing the press for the Apocalypse Now that he did last year. He um, mm-hmm. he said I'm working on Godfather three next, so so that's exciting that it's come to fruition. Yeah, I am uh, I am curious to see what he's going to do. I mean, he says the beginning and the ending have been changed, and you know who knows what else. But yeah, yeah I know he had a, a different vision for the film, and I, I hope it uh, you know I hope it isn't some we see some vast improvements. I I find it interesting that they went in and have actually gone back and some of the stuff from the original film that they're keeping, they've actually found better uh, materials to, to remaster it with. So with the technology and everything and better, better, um, uh, better footage existing than they had before. So it's uh, anyway, should be, should be interesting. Yeah. I'm excited. Okay. First week, what do we got? Well, what do we have? Yep. Going back all the way to the beginning of August. I want to say that was August the 4th, I believe it was. Yeah, August the 4th. The Carol Lombard collection from Kino Lorber was presented three of her films from 1930 to 1932. Fast and Loose, Man of the World, and No Man of Her Own. Those are all in a box set from Kino Lorber with some new transfers, new extras, three Blu-ray disc set. So there you go. Uh, another one, uh, this one was Pretty well reviewed in its day, and I don't know how many people remember it. Shanghai Triad, mm. uh, starring Gong Li, and this, of course, uh, um, was uh, directed by Zhang Yimou, 
and I'm probably massacring that name as well, but that's okay. Uh, so it was the winner of Best Foreign Film for the National Board of Review. It was Academy Award nominee for Best Achievement in Cinematography and a Golden Globe nominee for Best Foreign Language Film and, uh, from the 1995. So, um, you know, like I said, made a big splash when it was originally released, but it's kind of been hard to, to find a good copy of it. Until now, it's been remastered by uh, and released by Film Movement, and it has a uh, – a new booklet that it comes with Trouble in Shanghai video essay by author Grady Hendricks. And it also, and it also has a booklet with a new essay by film critic and lecturer, John Barra. So anyway, a Shanghai triad has been issued by film movement. That's all and, well and good. Shanghai triad, you know, acclaimed steamed foreign language film, but when are we going to get the 4k of Shanghai surprise? That's what I want. <laughs> yeah. When is that going to happen? I don't even know that there's a Blu-ray of that, actually. But, I don't think yeah. so. I think One, I think there's a Blu-ray yeah. of Who's That Girl, but not Shanghai Surprise. I think you're probably right. Yeah. Hmm. So, well, I'm so uh, curious. <laughs> with all the with all the crap that they release <laughs> every month, it seems like they'd they'd have just a little room left over for Shanghai Surprise. <laughs> I've never even seen that. Have you seen that? I have not. I just remember it was massacred when it came out. I remember. And that's uh, a James. Boy, the, that's a James Foley, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the reviews were brutal when that came out. I remember she was she was not having any luck there for a while. With the, and then um, yeah, there was uh, there was who's that girl and then that and then oh uh, she's had quite a few uh, low marks over yeah. the years, but and there was swept away. I remember she got such bad press for that but you know i I never thought that was as bad as they said it was i mean it's not great but it wasn't just a god-awful movie like they you thought that the filmmakers would have created you know i then it was directed by guy ritchie you know she's uh-huh. married to him at the time so uh but i remember uh, thinking you know that you you would have thought that they'd been behind some federal crime when they made this film and <laughs> it was not that bad uh not not great but but just not nearly as bad as what's the one she made with John Schlesinger? Didn't she make one with him? My next big thing. That's what it was. Yeah. With a uh, Rupert uh, Everett. Everett. Yeah. Remember when he was a big thing for about a couple of months there after the um, my best friend's wedding. Yes, he was indeed. Yeah, you know, that got him a little cachet, but unfortunately was short lived. I I think. So we have the Tony Curtis collection, not to be outdone by Kino. With their uh, the the previous collection we mentioned, this one uh, the Tony Curtis collection is the, has the perfect furlough, the Great Imposter, and Forty Pounds of Trouble. All these films released between 1958 and 1962. So uh, new mm. transfers, new extras there. So like I said, two box sets from from Kino, the uh, the Tony Curtis collection, and uh, actually there's a third one. There's the Carol Lombard collection, the Tony Curtis collection, and the Audie Murphy. Collection. I just missed this one. Sorry about that. No name on the bullet. Ride a crooked trail and the duel at Silver Creek, 1952 to 1959 are the release years for those. Criterion has issued The Lost Honor of Katharina Bloom, directed by Volker Schlondorf mm-hmm. from 1975. And this is the one about the woman who spends the night with an alleged terrorist and her life. Is, is turned into a uh, major disarray by this event. Now, is that the and, same uh, director yeah. who who had a claim in, is he German? 
Yeah, yes, he's the guy that did the tin drum. Yeah, okay. But that's not the same director that made like an American debut with that Palmetto movie with Woody Harrelson. Is that a different? No, it's a different guy. Yeah, it's okay. a different. I can't remember his name, but it's a it's a different guy. Yeah, because this was a long time before that, 1975. Yeah. For this one, but yeah, it was remade for television in the 80s. But I can't remember who played the the female role for the, uh, the 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 television version. But anyway, it has a new 4K digital restoration approved. I don't by... know, man. The, the director of Palmetto, his name is Volker Schlondorf. Okay, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I was thinking that was somebody else. But Let me see if it's the same guy. There can't be two Volker Schlondorfs walking around. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. Jeez. You're probably what, right. I'm what, probably kind of a, what kind of a world are we living in? Were there two of those guys? Oh, yeah, he's been around forever. Wow. Well, I just didn't think with that the, the disparity in years there that that would be the same guy. But okay. Yeah. Right. It's the only time I've – I mean I've heard his name connected to the Tin Drum. And then the only other time was with Palmetto. I, I guess I'm not as mm-hmm. as learned on his filmography as I should be, but uh, this uh, the Lost Honor of Katharina Bloom has is actually considered to be one of the essential 1970s political f- uh, films. Is really? what I've always heard. Yeah, it's 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 in the conversation there. So um, no, no, the conversation's anyway. a different movie that came out like, the year before. <laughs> yes. When you mentioned Tony Curtis, I just thought. You know that whole school of uh, of filmmakers, people involved in film, actors, what have you, that uh, knew everybody and had have a lifetime of stories about classic Hollywood, and it made me think to myself, you know, there's going to come a day soon when no one will be alive who actually knew Marilyn Monroe. Like we will That's no right. longer have any new or, or additional first-hand accounts. Of some of these people that make up so much of classic Hollywood. That's stunning to think about. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you are you are correct, and it's it's sad to think about that. It's kind of sobering too, actually. But yeah. Because people that killed Very Marilyn Monroe, so. they're dead now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's uh that's a mystery that keeps on, right? Yeah, I mean, that's oh, amazing boy. to me how people keep coming up with new stuff where uh, there was just a new guy that came out of the woodwork, a paramedic, that mm-hmm. uh, talked about a cover-up. And I was like, where have you been the past 60 years? You know, what's the word? <laughs> right. Anyway. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I guess you saw the, uh, the the video that Scott Michaels put up about the guy who, this is kind of old, it's been there for a while, about the guy who embalmed her or whatever I think it was. Yeah, The Undertaker, yeah. Yeah, the Undertaker. That's pretty interesting. I thought. Yeah. For anybody who hasn't seen that. That's a very kind of g- g- ghoulish uh, connection. <laughs> to, to Marilyn yeah, Monroe. It is. It is. That's kind of beyond the pale. It really is. But I did reach out to him uh, a couple, a few years ago, because I was going to do a Marilyn show for Tinseltown Tragedies, and I contacted tons of authors, and I and he was one of them, and he had died by then. His his son said, oh. "I'll be happy to talk on his behalf," but. It just never came together. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's a shame. Wow. Well, uh, so Grindhouse Releasing has reissued, I think this had maybe gone out of print or something, uh, The Swimmer, from starring Burt Lancaster. Mm. And this is not the typical title you expect from Grindhouse Releasing, yeah. because they typically release grind, Grindhouse films, but somehow they managed to get the rights to this and uh, are releasing it a limited edition set of 2,000 
with the Blu-ray and a DVD and the CD soundtrack of the film. And it includes all the extras that were on the previous edition, which are fantastic, by the way. The extras are – there's a documentary that's longer than the film on the uh, Yeah, I found some edition. of that. I found some of that documentary and watched it because oh, some, some pieces wow. of it are on YouTube. And, um, and yeah, what a stunning movie. What a stunning, unusual movie. And uh, it's one of those um, – 60s efforts that feel in tune with the 70s, right? Because it was a 60s movie, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I love this one. And Marvin oh, yeah, ha- Marvin Hamlish's first score, right? That's right. Yep. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a, it was a good uh, start to his career. Very very good score. Yeah, I, it's funny the interpretations of the movie. Uh, some I've heard people actually interpret the movie as a ghost story that Burt Lancaster's character may not exist at all. He's just a ghost, mm-hmm. um, and he may be long dead. I mean, that's an interesting theory. There's, a, it's a very, it's the kind of movie that you can interpret it in multiple ways. And, yeah, uh, but that's strange because when I was watching it, I, I never thought about it being about anything other than the surface, mm-hmm. just about him him being haunted by the reality of his life. Um, yeah. But it's still it is it is very unusual. You could just read the plot of the film and you're like, what the hell would that be? Exactly. A yeah. guy goes to each neighbor's house to swim in their pool, and you know what is that? Yeah. <laughs> and it it did feel like a real a yeah. real change of pace. <clears throat> Excuse me, a change of pace for Burt Lancaster. And mm. I know he was probably very nervous about it. And the other thing is, this is an older man, and he's wearing like. These little tiny swim trunks throughout the entire oh, yeah. film. Um, obviously, yeah. he was a great athlete, but uh, anyone would feel a sense of vanity over something like that. Yeah, pretty amazing. You're right. Um, but, you know, I didn't think of it as a ghost story either. I was like you. The, the first couple of times I saw it, I, I saw it on the surface level only. And then going back and rewatching it and hearing that theory, I thought – it totally works when you think about that because everybody that he runs into, they say, God, we haven't seen you in so long. Where have you been? You know, mm. it's that kind of thing. And it's kind yeah. of like, yeah, it does. It does work that way. I mean, I could, think see, about I, it, I could see that. I would just be interested to know if that was um, in the, the, discu- in the discussion, you know. Right, like yeah. Exactly. Well, Frank Perry's gone too, so who directed it? So and Sidney Pollack, who took over. That's right, and Pollock who took over. That's right. So yeah, and sadly, sadly. the chick is still alive. The female, the young girl, she's still around. Yeah, Janice Rule is gone though, who's also in it. So uh, mm. she she uh, died in two thousand. Joan Rivers yeah, was in it um, for yes, one scene. Joan Rivers is gone too. Yeah. That's true. Yep. Wow, what a movie! What a movie that is! It's just if you haven't seen that, check it out because if if you go into it knowing the title and the logline like I did, it uh, mm-hmm. it feels like a revelation that movie. Oh yeah, definitely. We we're we're fans of it in my household, and my mother had never seen it. I ran it for her a couple of couple of years ago, and boy, she was quite taken with it too. Uh, she she enjoyed it. She kept talking about it for for days afterwards. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's uh it's pretty it it's got some power there. It's a powerful experience, like you say, if you haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. So anyway, we have Arrow Video has released Toto the Hero from 1991, and that's been issued before. I think but this is one of their typical uh, special editions, which means they go all out with it. Um. 
But uh, yeah, this who's is... releasing it? It's uh, Arrow Video. Okay. So they uh, they do quite a good job with their product, and they're quickly moving to be one of the better, com- more uh, more interesting companies to watch for these in terms of these releases. They're really getting into the 4K game. They uh, they just recently issued Flash Gordon from 1980 <laughs> uh, in 4K and Pitch Black. So they're they're Pitch going Black. the. Yeah, I know, right? But it never been, it never gotten a 4K release. So huh. and there are fans. So uh, they went the uh, the Ultra HD route there into that game. Now Arrow is a British company, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. But they but they make uh they they produce product that plays in American region players. Well, what they've started doing, it's interesting. Uh, they they've only been doing this. I, Less than five years, but they they have two different release slates. They have titles that are coming out only in the UK, and then they have titles that are US only. Mm. So they have two different release slates each month, and some of them overlap, and then some of them are different. Uh, but a lot of the things that they do release in the UK will eventually wind up on their US release slate uh, in time, and vice versa. Mm. But sometimes they'll put stuff out here first, and then it winds up over there. So, um, but they've done some interesting stuff. They they did uh, they got hold of a, I don't know how they get the licensing on some of these titles. They've gotten some really heavy hitters. They got sixteen candles a couple of months ago, and they they put out an extended version of that, which had never been seen. They did the same with Weird Science. They did uh, uh, Altman's Images. They put that out a couple of years ago. Are those all Paramount. Um, those are all Universal titles, I think. Okay, actually. that's right. Use made. Okay. Huh. Yeah, those are yeah, but they did like Slaughterhouse Five, and they've done uh, they did Cinema Paradiso. They did a terrific restoration. Oh, they're putting that out in 4K. That's one of their new 4K titles. I forgot about that. That's just been announced. Huh. But uh, they've done some. Uh, they did uh, Altman's Kansas City uh, a while wow. back. So wow. they've done uh, they've got some pretty interesting stuff. They did <laughs> that exploitation film Beyond the Door from the mid 70s. Mm. <laughs> so that was, but you know. They put out some interesting product. Uh, the truth of the matter is, uh, FM, which is one of the essential LA movies, I think, of the seventies. Uh, which well, and was, they've they've made their because uh, I've seen Arrow around for years. And they've, yeah, because uh, they're the ones that did that kind of three disc uh, <laughs> restoration of Texas Chainsaw Two, weren't they? And uh, now that uh, was Scream, I believe. Scream, it was. No, that okay. Or was it Arrow? Uh, Arrow did come out. With a, Arrow. Did, did come so. out with a super duper version of it, and it only played on they certain did, region right. players. And I yes. was, and there's something about that movie. I don't like it. I, I mean, it's that movie, the Texas Chainsaw Two. Just I was crestfallen when I saw it, since the original was, was so, so powerful in my life. But there's something that keeps me coming back to it. Like there's an attraction to. I guess it goes back to just the anticipation of it that I remember yes. more than the reaction to it. And I keep hoping for a different reaction <laughs> when yes, I revisit I know. it. I know. I, I know I've told this story on the show before, but I'll tell it again. The, the weekend that it came out, I was like you. I was so excited about seeing it, and I went straight to the theater the weekend it came out. And uh, and I, actually, it might have been like Monday, the Monday night after the weekend it came out. I think that's what it was because I, for some reason, was busy that weekend. I think I might have been working. I was 16 at the time. And so anyway, I didn't get around to it till Monday. I go Monday night to go see it and uh, go up, and it was unrated. You know, it said nobody under 17 admitted. And mm. This theater that I went to in my teens was yeah, 
they were pretty lax about checking. You know, my mom would usually just drop me off and I'd go see whatever I wanted to and she'd come back two hours later and pick me up. So I figured that would be the, the situation here. And I go up there to pay my money and get my ticket for Texas Chainsaw 2, which I'm super excited about, of course, just you know, falling all over myself to see it. And and uh, they said, uh, let's ID. So I whipped out my ID. And, uh, of course, I was 16. and said, ah, we can't uh, we can't let you in to oh. see that. And so uh, I had to go and see Armed and Dangerous, which was that dumb comedy with John Candy. It was right. one of his low, lower points in his career. And I remember. You know, I wasn't much of a rebel back then. I, I, I always played by the rules, and so I went into Armed and Dangerous. I was terrified somebody would you know, discover me sitting in there if I went into the theater. If it were me now, I would probably just walk right on over there and <laughs> when nobody was looking, and I would have gone on in and <laughs> just had a blast. But uh, uh, as a result, I wound up having to see Armed and Dangerous, which six months later, it came out on v- VHS, and uh, I walked right into the video store and got it the first day. So sure. I wasn't checked at all. <laughs> Man, I remember my favorite movie, Wild at Heart. I remember seeing that on the opening Sunday. And uh, uh-huh. and I was two months away from turning 17. So I remember, you know, major embarrassment. My mother walking up to the box office and telling the box office girl, now is it okay if he gets into Wild at Heart? <laughs> <laughs> like I had to have a note for my mother to get into the... Yeah, and I remember being so fascinated to see Wild at Heart because I was just becoming aware of David Lynch uh, at the yeah. time. I mean, you know, if you're a high schooler in the 90s, David Lynch was all you talked about if you're from an arty crowd. And uh, and my mother and I went to see Air America, which was uh, on one side of the hallway on the opening Friday. And I looked on the other side of the hallway, and there was Wild at Heart. And I was like, oh, God, I want to go in there and watch that. <laughs> so two days two days later, I did. Awesome, man. Awesome. That is great. That's a good story. We have – it's funny to remember those times like that when – you know, the, our first yeah. experience. And I was like you. I was. I had. I had just gotten a VCR in the fall of '85, so that was the first time I ever saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first one. Ooh. I'd heard about it. It was legendary. I didn't see it in a theater. My parents would never go. They would never do that. So sure. when it came out on VHS tape, I or I got my first VCR. I ran down. That was one of the titles I had on my uh, must see list. It'd been on there for years and. Uh, anyway, I, uh, you know, of course, I was huge, huge fan of it. So when I heard they were doing a second one, uh, only a year later after I'd seen the first one, I was like, "Holy cow! I can't wait!" And I was like, "You, I was yeah. crestfallen." Is a good way to, I, that's a good word. I, I was very young when I saw Texas Chainsaw, and I'm sure that's probably part of the reason why it has such an enduring power, because I'd never mm-hmm. seen anything like that. And uh, so I was probably, oh, no. I was probably 11 or so, and we saw it on Betamax. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that I remember coming home and my father had a Betamax machine. He bought it while we were visiting my grandmother in a different city. And we came back that afternoon. Here was this tank. (laughs) Oh yeah. What the hell is this? But to this day, like one of the best machines ever because it had a toggle switch where you could, you could fast forward, you could freeze frame, you can go frame by frame. I mean, that was an elaborate, Mm -hmm. elaborate setup. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, the laser discs you could do that on on certain players as well. Those those were great features that you uh, that you could, yeah, because you could. There was some great stuff there. It was a uh, yeah. And the first Betamax the movie that Dad rented was something like The Mechanic, the Charles Bronson. It was something uh-huh. like that. And yep. 
and maybe Remo Williams. I, I know that was an early Betamax movie that yeah. I watched. Yeah, good times, good days. Mm-hmm. Before we all started well, hating yeah, life. I mean, it's nice to reminisce. <laughs> well, I remember the first VCR I had. It was a, a front-loading VHS Panasonic. Mm. And uh, like I said, I got it in September of 85, and it, it had a wired remote. It, it wasn't even a wireless remote. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'd be sitting there watching something with the remote in my hand, and I would, and somebody would get up out of, to go to the bathroom, and they'd trip over the remote and pull, literally pull the VCR off the top of the television set down, halfway down the hall on mm. the way to the bathroom. And that happens so many times, and I get so angry. But you just That's think like, about that explosion, because I mean, Betamax was brand new. The notion uh, of yeah. notion of renting movies, I mean, owning them was still out of reach because they were too expensive mm-hmm. to own. But uh, the people that got in on the ground floor of that and opened up video stores mm-hmm. were really ahead of the game because it didn't take long for those things to crop up like McDonald's. You know, that was a craze. Oh, yeah. that was an industrial craze. The home video industry. Yeah, we had a uh, we had a local mom and pop shop in our town, and I know they opened it in in eighty two. I think it was, and back then it was a novelty. You know, and I remember going in there being a huge movie buff. You know, even at the age of eleven or twelve, and I would go in there and just stare at the, the yeah. titles on the shelves. I didn't have a player. I was, but I was just <laughs> amazed at what they had, and and. Uh, and so, and you know, they're they're. Uh, I remember they didn't have a lot of uh, foot traffic. It was kind of sparse, and I thought, how is this place going to survive? <laughs> well, cut to about two or three years later, and I mean, you couldn't hardly find a parking spot in that place. It was yeah. amazing. Just in a couple of years, I thought, boy, they were they they really hit the jackpot. They knew what they were doing. They were investing wisely. It's a very it's very romantic feeling if you're a young kid and a movie freak and just having a store to browse through. I can watch mm-hmm. these. I could take these home and watch them. And I, I remember there was a ga- there was a gas station I used to ride my bike to to get like, candy bars and comic books. And mm-hmm. uh, they had a kiosk of VHS movies uh, when VHS first started happening. And so I remember I got stuff like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and I was able to watch that for the first time on VHS uh, in that little gas station kiosk. I mean, it was all over Ooh, the place. Yeah. Uh, yeah, time. it was. Uh, it was, and and even uh, even more enticing. All the the prettiest girls from my high school, who most of whom were cheerleaders, they were the checkout girls at this place. They would hire all those girls, so I would go in there, and <laughs> all these attractive girls who uh, didn't want anything to do with me in the real world. You know, <laughs> <They would> be... <laughs> yeah, and it's weird. Checking me out. I mean, I never got a job at the. You know, Blockbuster was big when I was yeah. job, job age, just first entering the job world. So I thought of Black Blockbuster, but I ended up just working in the theater industry. But mm-hmm. um, I did uh, too. Yeah. yeah, man, what a what a great and glorious time. And uh, uh-huh. you know, there was a place called Farmore. It went out of business because I guess their investors screwed it up somehow. But uh, man, it was it was like a Ross's or Marshalls or or, or Target. Um, and they had a video section where you could rent an ungodly amount of movies for something like three to five dollars, and uh, I lived there, man, because they had every horror movie known to man, and this mm-hmm. was the period of time when I just watched one horror movie after another. And uh, <laughs> I remember renting a bunch of movies for a Friday night at my house with some friends. We we're gonna have a sleepover, and two of the movies were The Shining, which I'd never seen before that night. 
Oh, nice. And uh, Witches of Eastwick. And yeah. uh, uh, which reminds me, pretty soon I'm going to post this interview we did with the, an assistant director for the Movie Geek Yearbook series. I can't wait. One of the movies that he worked on was Witches of Eastwick, and he's got some great stories about how totally batshit that shoot was. And, and, yeah. and working with Nicholson every day and uh, and Cher and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's if you if you're like a fan of witches like I've always been, uh, it'll, oh, it's a kind of a delectable story that he has to tell. So. And man, good times, good times. I'm getting us way off track with the VHS. No, it's movies. beautiful to reminisce. I mean, part of this is, is reminiscing because all of these titles are cataloged, you know. Mm-hmm. It does bring back a fond, was it, uh, warm, fuzzy feelings, as they say. So, yeah, here's one you might find on your shelf around that time, or well, a little couple of years after that. Split second with Rutger Hauer, from mm. 1992. <laughs> Rutger Hauer. That's an MVD release. Yeah. Did they come uh, out with his? Uh, you know, the movie that a lot of people love of his is that Blind Fury. That's right. I don't think that's. Uh, I don't think that's been released. On, I don't think so, on Blu-ray. I think I know it's a DVD, but I don't think it was ever a Blu-ray release. Mm. But, yeah, that's an interesting cast in this uh, split second. You have um, you have Rutger Hauer, of course, Kim Cattrall. This is before Sex and the City. And then wow. you have Michael J. Pollard and Pete Postlethwaite. So really? <laughs> it's an interesting cast for an action movie. Uh, but, yeah. So, split second. Uh, the Phantom of the Opera has been issued by Screen Factory. This is a uh, the 1962 Hammer version huh. with Herbert Lom, and there's lots of new extras there on that. Yeah, there's a few cinematic and, versions of that one. Mm-hmm. Whether I mean, yeah. you know, our buddy Schumacher directed the last big musical version of it. That's right. Yeah. And everything from that to you know. Um, the guy that plays Fre- uh, Freddy Krueger, uh, Robert England, his horror mm-hmm. version of it, you know. Yeah, there were uh, there was a uh, maybe television version too. Speaking of Burt Lancaster, he was in that, I believe. Mm. So there's uh, there's quite a few, like you said. Um, yeah, there really really are, and of course the classic Claude Rains and Long Chaney versions. So there's there's, there's yeah, there's a lot of them. Uh, so Criterion has issued the complete films of Agnes Varda. Oh, wow. From every, everything she made between 1955 and 2019. Or, oh, there's, I think, 37 titles that are 39 movies. I'm sorry, 39 movies for a total running time of 2,611 minutes. Wow. <laughs> so if you're an Agnes Varda fan and she did some great stuff there. Uh, and there's tons of extras, just too numerous to mention here. Would be here all night if I got into all of those. But it's a beautiful box set with uh, new transfers for all the films and very, very complete collection. Mm. So, um, you know, what can you say if you're an Agnes Varda fan? Pandemonium from 1982, which was a uh, – this was – a horror film, and I actually I did not realize this had been released. This is uh, pretty interesting. I, I may have to get a copy of this myself. Uh, this was written by one of our former guests, Richard Whitley, who wrote uh, Rock and Roll High School, and we right. talked about that. I talked to him about this one on that episode quite extensively because this popped up on HBO all the time, and he was very angry that they changed it to Pandemonium because it was originally called Thursday the 12th. 
so that's the went into production. But it's it's a I don't think it's his fault. I think it's the director Alfred Soul who did previously uh, Alice Sweet Alice with um, Brooke Shields. He directed. Um, it's one of these. It's kind of hit and miss, I don't, and like I said, I don't think it's his, his fault. I think it was tinkered with a little bit, but um, anyway, uh, it has uh, Paul Rubens from uh, P- obviously Pee Wee Herman, and you have Tom Smothers and Carol Kane, and you have Phil Hartman, and uh, you know there there are enough laughs to warrant recommending this one. I would say if you haven't, and like I said, it was something. That just was a regular staple on HBO, and I'm just glad that it's out there. So, because mm-hmm. uh, we were lamenting the fact that uh, back when I talked to him, we were l- lamenting the fact that it was hard to find. Yeah. And so I, uh, I had no idea. I overlooked this one, and I am I did not get a review copy. But I guess I'm going to have to chip in for the dig, dip in for this one. I guess. So, so there was a print of this out there somewhere. I guess so. <laughs> that they uncovered. I wonder where a print like that would be located. I know, it makes you wonder. Yeah. It does make you wonder, yeah. I um hmm, I wonder if he knows. I surely he knows that it's been issued. I'll, I'll have to Yeah, we, he might not. I mean, it's it's crazy, but I mean, they they wouldn't think of contacting the the writer unless unless it's part of the extras. Does it have an extra in it where he's interviewed? Yeah. Um, let's see. I can't can't figure out what the extras are here. I don't think there's a, a review of it, so I'm not seeing any. Uh, I'm not seeing any any um, supplemental stuff on it. Yeah, any supplemental stuff that it's it's giving us here. I'm trying. Yeah, but to, don't don't be surprised if even the director doesn't know it's out there. I mean, it's it's crazy yeah, sometimes how out of the loop they are. I know, yeah. Uh, actually, here we have uh, something. No, uh, he's not. The only extras on it are an interview with the director, Alfred Soule, and right. it has been restored from a 35-millimeter interpositive, and there's a promotional still gallery. So, yeah, they should have interviewed him because he had great stories about that when I talked to him. Uh, that's a really missed opportunity. That's a hmm. shame. Well, I'll have to give him a heads up because he was overjoyed that somebody remembered it uh, when I told him that I did. I remembered it fondly, and I knew he was associated with it, and he just uh, he lit up like a Christmas tree when I told him that. So it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, anyway, so the Malcolm McDowell, Jacqueline Smith pairing, The Caller from 1987. I'm not familiar with this one, but it's been also interest, uh, issued by Vinegar Syndrome. So they've been uh, – I think they have a new licensing deal with MGM United Artists. I think that's part of where this is coming from. Uh, the Quest, starring Henry Thomas, has been issued by Kino Lorber. This was in that post-ET phase where he was trying to figure out where his career was going to go. And mm. It's 1986. Uh, I remember this one again in video stores, but – Anyway, uh, there is a triple feature. This is DVD only, not Blu-ray, but I will mention it that uh, for fans of Gunsmoke, you know there were three post-series television films that were made in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, there's Return to Dodge, The Last Apache, and To the Last Man. They've all been issued by Paramount on a three-film set. Yeah, DVD, believe it or not. Uh, But it's the Gunsmoke movie collection. And I say that because there are some people who are – Gunsmoke fans, and I'm sure. Uh, you know, it's it is interesting, and you know, you got great character actors here. Pat Hingles in one of them. You got Michael Learned from The Waltons in another one, and uh, Miss 
AIDS even in the first one. She died of AIDS not long after that. Who? But, uh, uh, Miss Kitty, Amanda Blake, the character of Miss Kitty that was from the series, she returned in the in the first film, returned to Dodge, but she died. So anyway, you uh, have the Gunsmoke movie collection. Now, this is interesting, I thought. Uh, so on the back, it has – these films have actually been submitted to the MPAA for rating. Even though they're made for television, they've been submitted for MPAA ratings, I guess, for this video release. Two of them have been rated R for violence. What? <laughs> which I thought was bizarre. Yeah. Even in to, to to today's standards? TV. Yes. These were TV made These were made for TV. TV. Okay. Yes, in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, Return to Dodge and To the Last Man are rated R for violence. God. Would, so, the, would the Deliberate Stranger be rated R today? Uh, you'd never know. You'd never know. Huh. So, anyway, uh, for, for fans of Gunsmoke, I just wanted to throw those out there. Uh, also, two music documentaries that are also being issued on DVD but not Blu-ray. And I'm not sure why they're not doing Blu-rays on these, but uh, one of them is uh, – Kenny, the biography of Kenny Rogers that aired on A and E, but it's been expanded for this DVD release. It's actually runs right. in eighty six minutes. I, I, I kept getting and, emails uh, about this one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's it's got a pretty high pedigree of talent that they've interviewed for it. Um, I wish I could find Chris six Abbott pack Dolly- on streaming. I haven't been able to find a place that's because uh, I would have thought after his death that everybody would have, you know, there's so many streaming platforms that come with Roku or whatever that they would have said, yeah. well, let's put up six pack. I haven't, I haven't been able to find it. <laughs> I actually have a high definition rip from cable or something. I, I got it. It's a, it's a cable rip from one of the cable channels or something, but I, I can send it your way. <laughs> no, I mean, it was just a curiosity to revisit it. It's not any kind of burning desire. It doesn't bring back any nostalgia, even though Kenny Rogers does. Cause I mean, he was, he was like the yes. first big that I recall pop country crossover. I mean, he played yes. in, he played in both worlds. Um, yeah, he was a major superstar when I was growing up. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was none bigger in the early eighties. Uh, I'd say from about eighty to eighty three. I mean, yeah. he, was... he couldn't act worth shit, but uh... <laughs> no, but he can't. that didn't stop him. <laughs> <laughs> it did not stop him. Uh, so another music documentary I'll mention, and this one got some pretty good notices. Um, Gordon Lightfoot, if you yeah. can read my mind, which is a documentary obviously on Gordon Lightfoot, and Alec Baldwin appears in this among, uh, along with several other notables. I came very close to, to, to buying a ticket for that and these new virtual cinemas that are up there on the Internet. Uh-huh. But I never got around to it. What I thought was interesting, which I didn't know, because the the woman that inadvertently killed Belushi, she just she just died the other week at the age of seventy three after a long bout yes. of cancer, and the love of her life was Gordon Lightfoot. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I was going to mention that. I sure was. There was a connection. I wasn't exactly sure what the connection was, but I knew there was a connection between the two of them. And that's what it was, but uh, it's it's a little startling to see him now because he has mm. not aged well, and he's in his early eighties. But he he's yeah. You know, some people in the early eighties don't you know they don't necessarily look that old, but he he, he looks like Jan Michael Vincent toward, towards the end. Yes, he does. He does. Yeah. But you know he still has great stories. But he wrote but he wrote Sundown for her, the, Bel- the Belushi true. chick. That's right. <laughs> That is correct, and it's the only number one record he ever had. Uh, he had several top tens, but the only 
was the only chart topper. Uh, of course, he the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah. 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 I heard a song parody on one of those morning radio shows years ago <laughs> called "The Rectum of Edmund Fitzgerald." <laughs> yeah, it would have been just as depressing. Uh, <laughs> and if you could read my mind, he had such a unique way of singing yes. the whole. And ha, 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 ha. I mean, that's how he. <laughs> that's <sang. right>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he yeah, did. Right. He actually did. He wrote one that uh, was covered by Peter Paul and Mary. Uh, I think it might have charted for them in the early morning. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I don't think I don't think his version was a hit, but that, that yeah, was those one old guys, you know. Successes. And w- when we took our trip to L.A. last year. Uh, I uh, I thought about, oh, let's see what concerts are. Maybe we can go to a concert. Obviously, we went to Vegas to see a concert. Mm-hmm. But I was looking at uh, California, LA concerts, and one of them was another mm-hmm. old school guy like Lightfoot. It was Don McLean. I was like, would we enjoy? Really? Would we enjoy seeing a Don McLean concert? And and uh, yeah, he's still still at it, still out there and going. You know, I mean, not during COVID, obviously. I mean, that's a wrench yeah. at all, but. Yeah, he's staying active. Uh, he was arrested, I think, two or three years ago for beating his wife, allegedly. So, That's pretty uh, active. Yeah, he's pretty active. Yeah, he's. I've heard, heard he is a not a nice person. That's what I've been told. I don't know. Never met the guy, yeah. but I hear he is not necessarily a nice person. I hope those rumors are unfounded, but uh, they 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 don't sound good. Anyway, uh, so Mikey from 1992 is another MVD release, Mikey. and that stars. Um, I'm not familiar with any of these. Brian Bonsall, Ashley Lawrence, John Deal. Well, anyway. Ashley Lawrence. Uh, I think that's the teenager from Hellraiser. That's correct. Yes, that's. I, I, am I know. I know. Recall. Life is Mikey. Life with Mikey. I don't know Mikey. Uh, I don't either. Not really familiar with it. But anyway, it's one. Unless of those that's the familiar. kid that ate life cereal. <laughs> he likes it. He likes right. It. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, anyway, Diva from 1981, which is a pretty well-known foreign film, and that, of course, directed by Jean-Jacques Benny. Mm. And uh, that's a Kino release. They have issued this with a brand-new restoration. But this is the same guy. Uh, what, what else did he uh, direct? I'm trying to think of it. Uh, Betty Blue, that's the other one he did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Jean, Jean-Jacques Anod, or is this a different person? No, 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 no. This is a different game. Okay. Okay, yeah, I'm getting confused. Yes, you are correct. This is Jean-Jacques Benny. So, yeah, you oh, are correct. Okay. I'm... No, I mean, you might be right. He might be the guy that did Betty Blue. Uh, <laughs> Betty Blue was... was yeah, yeah, he's the one you're talking about, uh, Betty Blue. Okay, good. Oh. I'm glad I didn't miss that. I, I thought, but I couldn't be 100%. Jean-Jacques Anod Maybe. is the, the bear, I think. Uh, and then he did a water movie, The Big Blue, maybe? Yeah, that's it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, well, we got a couple of 80s titles here. We have an Oscar-winning uh, film, I think, right? Uh, Tender Mercies. Yeah. 1983. And Kino has issued that. Uh, Robert Duvall, I think, t- got t- t- took home that statuette. That yeah, one. it's a great. Uh, it's a great performance. I mean, the movie would, I think, be absolutely un- unnotable without that lead performance, and it's it's one of those great lead performances where he is he he appears to be doing absolutely nothing, uh, and yet he's so riveting in the movie. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and maybe yeah. he, maybe he isn't doing anything. I mean, you know, <laughs> um, but it's such a it feels like such a truthful performance in. Yeah. But, the you know, I love Pauline Kael's pan of it. I mean, an absolute pan that uh, <laughs> that criticizes Duvall for doing very little and the script for doing very little to define him. Because she said uh, one of the lines in her review is the um, the woman that. Uh, oh, yes, there's a great exchange where before they get married, he and Tess Harper, and he says to her, I guess it's no secret how I feel about you. And Polly Kale was like, well, it really is, because he has shown no sign whatsoever that he's in any way attracted <laughs> to her. He's not showing us anything. Oh my and God, I can't argue great. with that, but I, I, love, I love the movie. And it's interesting, because oh, I've had a chance to, to ask both Duvall and Bruce Beresford about that movie. I can't remember what they said mm-hmm. about it, but it's it's one of those that it exists on that lead performance, and I I don't think it would be remember, oh, yeah. remembered if not for it. That's good. That's a great observation. That's, she's so great. Oh even, yeah. Even when you disagree with her, there's always something <laughs> yeah, great to take that's, about. And and you're like, it's one of those insights where you're like, yeah, that's actually true. <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, so. Duval was on Howard Stern years ago, and he talked about. Uh, I mean, this is inappropriate, but what the hell about boning Ellen Barkin in the shower during the filming of that movie? <laughs> wow! <laughs> it's just he's, the stuff you only find in Howard Stern. Oh yeah, he's not. Uh, at least he's not holding back uh, with his tails, so to speak. So, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, he's he's a pretty transparent guy. I think he's. Yeah, that's that's what makes him <laughs> such a fun. <laughs> oh man! Well, we have the 1996 film directed by Nora Ephron Michael, which was okay. actually, I think, a surprise hit. That was part of the and, Travolta uh, Renaissance. It was. You had Travolta and Andy McDowell and William Hurt and uh, Bob Hoskins. Travolta and, worked too much. And, uh, I think he worked. I, I think he took every opportunity that came to him after the Pulp Fiction explosion, and yeah, uh, I, think I, right. I think he saturated the, the, the marketplace too much. However, I I think Mike, Michael's probably not a regrettable decision for him because I think it was a colorful character that he could have fun with. But yeah, it's it's okay. It doesn't really go. Uh, there's not a a real story that uh, that keeps you engrossed or anything. But you know, it's it's kind of meanders along. But it's okay. It has a good score by Randy Newman, of course, and uh, Gene Stapleton is great in it. You mm-hmm. know, from All in the Family, it's great to see her. And it's uh, anyone that it, is in the mood to see a r- romance between William Hurt and Andy McDowell. I mean, it's right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is true. So um, anyway, you know, it's it's funny. This was released by Turner Pictures. If you remember, this was that time when Ted Turner was trying to get a studio off the ground of his own because he always wanted to be a movie mogul. So he, he, he founded Turner Pictures, and then he uh, – before this film was released, the, the studio had already folded. So mm. it was already defunct by the time this film was released. And I think New Line kind of – and Warner Brothers picked up the distribution on it. So uh, it, was, it was kind of interesting. I think Gettysburg was another one of his oh, Turner man. pictures. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, yeah. he was he was touting that, man. Oh, yeah. 
And Gettysburg has a huge audience. I mean, that that it movie does. that movie did catch on. A lot of people are crazy about that. Mm-hmm. What was the and sequel to the that? Sequel, God's Generals. God's, God's Generals, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, not so much on that one, but uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the people that wow. thought, thought they were seeing a Civil War movie when they went into <clears throat> Gods and Generals and instead they walked into Gods and Monsters, they were like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, this country's going to hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, how about this for uh, a plot for uh, or a movie? It's called A Different Story from 1978, starring Perry King and Meg Foster. It's about a lesbian real estate agent who takes in a gay illegal immigrant as a roommate when he loses his job. Um, so, anyway, just wanted to mention that's a Scorpion releasing Title distributed by Kino. A different story. Elvis, that's the way it is. The 1970 concert film by uh, starring, of course, Elvis. And this is interesting because it's been issued before back around 2012. It went out of print. Now it's been reissued by the Warner Archive. And what they did was they took some of the uh, – it's a recut of the film. Uh, the original cut of the film is intact on a second disc, but uh, it's, it's a re-edited version where they found some p- more performance footage, and they got rid of some of the crowd stuff and added in more performance footage on the recut. So you get more of Elvis and less of the uh, of, of the environment, I guess you would say. But then the original theatrical cut is there in case you want it. So anyway, Elvis, that's the way it is, reissued by Warner Archive from 1970. Lucian Ballard, one of the DPs on that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the uh, the one of the DPs, uh, Richard Pierce, that I interviewed about the Woodstock, he also shot Elvis. So I'm wondering if he shot Elvis for that concert tour, because he would say, you know, to be a working cinematographer, especially in the documentary realm at that time, that, that you would just get a call. Mm-hmm. He'd say, yeah. "Here's here's an opportunity," and then a plane would pick you up the next day, and then you'd go to this location. And he told me about shooting Elvis on stage, and apparently he got too close to Elvis, and Elvis turned to his camera and like. Put at his put at his arm towards the camera, like it looked like a classic Elvis move, which meant get back. <laughs> you're you're cramping <laughs> you're cramping my stage style. Oh, that's great. That is great. Yeah, I. Uh, it wasn't Scorsese one of the editors on there, or, or uh, maybe that or something. I think he, I think he had some sort of association with Elvis. That's the way it is. I think there's a there's a connection there. I believe, but not not 100 percent sure about that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there was a big extended crew if you're filming concert footage from different dates. Mm-hmm. They probably brought in people that were regional to help out with it. But, um, yeah, and there's a, there's a great Elv- – I don't even know what it is, but it's a more recent documentary about Elvis in the past maybe 20, 25 years that uh, his his friends and bandmates – and it consists – it's on YouTube. It consists of interviews with all of them and – um one in particular that was his hair hairstylist, mm-hmm. and his hairstylist went in to the morgue and and prepared his hair, and he said, "Look, mm. I, I can tell you that that was Elvis. I mean, you know, there's, if anybody that has a thinks there's a big mystery behind, is he still alive? Did he really die?" I said, "No, he he was cut open. There was a scar down his chest, and I had to tint the gray out of his hair and fix his hair mm. special and." And all the bandmates had said, you know, we tried to intervene. And it was a hard thing because a lot of them were on drugs at the time. And uh, they saw that Elvis was going downhill, and this was their master, for lack of a better word. You know, their mentored master. And they just felt so awkward about confronting him because 
Elvis would fly off the handle and just fire anybody that kind of uh, mm-hmm. dared to question him. And it was a bond that they were afraid to break by intervening. It's That's a, right. It's an interesting, I don't even know the name of it, uh, but it's an interesting documentary. I'll have to try to find that. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, he... Um... That's a curious story uh, about that. And then his uh, hangers on, they wrote that book, you know, right before he died, Elvis, what happened? I remember that. I remember when that came out because that was a big deal because mm. he was such a protected, you know, there's all, there was this bubble that protected him and not, there was nothing really negative that had ever come out about him. And this was just a couple months before he died. And I remember that book came out because it was all, it was written by Red West, his, and Sonny West, who were, you know, two of his hangers on. And they, uh, boy, gave a lot of dirt about him and he wasn't, uh, I think he was having a lot of problems with that because nothing ever bad about him had ever come up out up until that point, and so that was that was. Um, That's a level of stardom that maybe a handful of people have experienced in history. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, the the Beatles, Elvis, '80s Madonna. Yeah, you know, there's just a handful of people that know what that was would be like. That level of mania. That's, yep, that is very true. So the 1987 film has been uh, Five Corners, which is directed by Tony Bill and stars Jodie Foster, Tim Robbins, and right. John Turturro. Yep. Set in 1964, it's been issued by Liberation, which is an, a new company that I'm not really familiar with. But uh, anyway, it's out on Blu-ray as well. Set in 1964. Hmm. And uh, so, what about that Tony Bill movie, Crazy People? Isn't that about like the 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 people in the nut house that come up with the advertising campaigns with Dudley Moore? I think Moore? so. Yeah. Yeah, man, I haven't heard about that movie since the weekend it opened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, Tony Beale had some interesting. I, I told John I'm an unabashed fan of Untamed Heart that he directed. I yeah. uh, you know it's it's a uh, I know some people just think it's probably schmaltzy and overly sentimental, but man, does that movie get to me? It really, really does. <laughs> it's one of those from the early '90s that I, it affected me then, and it affects me now. So, um, anyway, fan of that one. I'll, I'll go down to the go down. What was his big movie? What was uh, Tony? Pri- what was Tony Bill's big movie? Mm, as a director, I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, was he just he, he was he just a worker bee, or did he have like a big hit, like a you know, like a George Roy Hill, Butch Cassidy thing or the Sting thing. Did he have one of those? Well, it's, you know, well, I think he was a producer on the Sting, wasn't he? I believe. Okay. Uh, that's funny you mentioned that because was you know he started as a producer and then he uh, ventured in into directing eventually. So I'm not sure what is as far as a director. What I want to say, he directed um, My Bodyguard. Yeah, maybe, that was a big one. That was a big uh, cable staple. Pretty good success. And then I'm saying he yeah. did he did the Dudley Moore cancer movie, that six weeks movie, isn't yeah, that? Good? Yeah, Because that's Very what tough. you want to see Dudley Moore in. <laughs> the, yeah, right. Isn't that what that's? Oh, the, yeah, uh, the twelve year old daughter dying of leukemia. Yeah. Yes, that was another HBO staple back it in sure the day. Was. I remember seeing it quite a few times and. Uh, back then, I thought it was okay. I, I tried rewatching it a couple of years ago, and it didn't. It wasn't. <laughs> that was a go- that was a Goober Peters movie. Yeah, surprisingly. Wow. Mm. Yeah, and that was the whole author author era too, when that was on yes. you know, eighty two. Wow. Well, Cry Freedom from nineteen eighty seven, directed by Richard Attenborough, has been mm-hmm. issued by Kino. Uh, some 
a new transfer, new extras, new commentary. Uh, I know that was uh, pretty pretty well reviewed. I think that was an Oscar nominee, I believe. I think at the time. So anyway, that has been issued as well. Uh, and then we'll move to August 18th. We're up to August 18th level already. We have uh, f- previously uh, alluded to this Flash Gordon in 4K from Arrow. It's their the first of their 4K releases that they've done, and they've got it in a, a steel box and uh, and a regular mm. traditional packaging as well. Uh, they also have the Gamera, uh, Gamera, the complete collection, which is 13 movies, uh, the uh, all of the adventures of the giant flying turtle from uh, Japan. So uh, it's <laughs> yeah, that's uh, well. When you describe it like that, it doesn't sound at all ridiculous. Uh, no, not at all. It was the I think it was a. I don't know if it was Toho put this out, but I, I think it was definitely a, uh, their uh, whoever put it out it was their their attempt to compete with Godzilla. Sure. And it's eight eight Blu-ray discs, and actually I am told that some of the later films are much better than the original, huh. uh, the the ones from the early '60s. Like they're kind of goofy, but it, they got they got progressively better as they made some in the the '90s and 2000s, I think. So who so, who put this out? Arrow again. Okay. Was talking and about so the Criterion movie. put out all the Godzillas. Yeah, so yeah. Arrow decided yeah. to go for the Gamera. Cool. Yeah, there's, there's quite a. I'm like sure, I said, sure there are people that love it. Oh yeah, it's it's good to again. I mean, tons of new extras and uh, you know commentaries and all that stuff. All the trimmings, as they say. You know, if I have an extra hundred and fifty dollars lying around, which I probably won't. Uh, I might buy that Friday the 13th Blu-ray box set that comes out in October or whenever. Yeah, that's quite an achievement, I must say. I have no idea why I'd buy it, but I, there's something that attracts me to it. Yeah, it's it's going to be super collectible because when that thing is out of print, man, uh, can you imagine? Because mm. I'm seeing I'm seeing their Halloween. You know, Scream did a Halloween box a couple of years ago that was some they did all the Halloween films in a box a couple of you know a while back and they licensed them from all the different studios put them all in one place and that thing is going for about a thousand dollars now on eBay so wow um, and I saw it a couple of years ago a used copy of it for about a hundred dollars or something at one of the used blu-ray shops near where I live and I, I said nah, nah I think I'll pass boy I could kick myself for not having gotten it <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's way out of print and very much sought after. So I can imagine in a couple of years, if you get that Friday the Thirteenth, you'll you'll uh, it will be a good investment. Let's Here's a question for you. But uh, one of the cuts of Friday the Thirteenth Part Three is in the 3D. Have you ever mm-hmm. watched a 3D Blu-ray on a 3D television? I have not actually. Um, Wonder how I it have, looks. I. I wonder too. Now I have the. Uh, they put it out. And it's an interesting history with this one. They they put it out. You know, b- before they have the modern. You know, the new 3D technology that was inaugurated with Avatar uh-huh. is different from the other 3D DVDs that were being pressed prior to that. So the 3D, it's a different process. The ones that were, were pressed prior to Avatar, uh, it was the old process, the, the same one that had been in existence since the 50s. And you so, just wear the paper glasses and to watch right, it. Wear right. the red and red well, this, green, this, this one yeah, says so, specifically, I think in the supplemental, this one said specifically for, for, for 3D televisions. 
on the Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, yeah. The glasses sh- uh, on these newer ones they shutter. They they open and close at a certain intervals uh, is how they work. And uh, I I don't uh, I never did get a 3D capable. The projector I have was supposed to be 3D capable, but it, it turns out it wasn't. I wonder and, how many um, people bought a 3D TV, or if that just landed like a dud. It was the going thing there for a while, um, and then they just it kind of petered out. I, I don't know, man. Huh. Uh, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, the, but I do have the the old Friday the Thirteenth three in three D that was issued in I think around two thousand eight, yeah, yeah, or something like that. That's the one I have. Uh, the new one is supposedly upgraded to the current existing technology. Now, like you said, it's going to be a problem because they're not making three D televisions anymore. So I don't know. But well, let's hope it's anyway. upgraded. Classic like that. I would demand nothing less. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, not for nothing, as they say. Uh, I would say Friday the 13th, part three, is probably the best of a lot. Because That's the one I'll watch. Effects. That's the one I'll watch before anything. Even before yeah, the right. first one, which I, it looks like it was shot by a 10-year-old. I will watch part three before any of them. Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Totally. So... Well, we'll move along. Oh, and we must say that, that, that we'll tease about that new Friday the 13th uh, release has all the lost gore footage from the second film. Yeah, they found it on a sticky VHS tape in a, like a stuntman's attic or something. <laughs> yeah, right? It's crazy. Yeah, that was a, yeah, it's it's a crazy incredible. story. It's incredible. And, you know, it just goes to show you never know where this stuff is because the people that were researching it, they just mentioned in passing – I don't know if it was a stunt man, but it was somebody like that. They said, yeah, they've been looking for this lost footage. And he was like, oh, I have it. It's on a VHS somewhere. It's like when <laughs> when I talked to the guy that interviewed Kubrick for Rolling Stone in 86 and or 87. And I just thought, just ask him, just ask him. And I thought, OK, you wouldn't happen to have the audio tapes of your interview with Kubrick. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, I got him somewhere in here. I'll have to fish for him. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I exactly. Said, Could you do that for me? <laughs> yeah. Crazy, Because they just don't think, I mean, who would be interested? You know, it just doesn't occur to them. No, exactly. It's crazy stuff, man. You never know, like you say. Well, uh, Frankenstein and the Monster from Hell. That's a Scream Factory release and also one of the Hammer films from 1974. New transfer, new extras, mm. all that stuff. Uh, that they do so well over at Scream Factory. Um, Cursed Films, and you and I have talked about this from Image Entertainment. It's a TV miniseries. Uh, it's a complete first season. I hope there's going to be a second. And anyway, it was uh, a Shutter original series, and the complete series is available on this um, on this, this set from Image Entertainment. And, Image uh, Entertainment was, is still around. Yeah, I, re- I remember seeing their logo on the old Texas Chainsaw VHS. Is it the same in- Image Entertainment? It is. Wow. It's the same one. They've endured. Still around. Wow. They have. But, uh, yeah, I thought this was pretty good. I, I know you and I have discussed it off the air, and uh, I thought it was uh, fairly well. Well done. I yeah, mean, that's worth seeing. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. It's uh, basically they cover the production of films that are rumored to be cursed of The Exorcist and Poltergeist and uh, the uh, the Crow and The Omen and Twilight Zone the movie. And but when you're talking about highlights of the series, you're you're really talking about seconds because some of these, I mean, they only last like 25, 30 minutes each. 
because they're mm-hmm. like that's the episode link uh, length. And so when you're watching it and you have you hear like a new insight from someone you've never heard from before, it's really just a brief sound clip. So yeah. a lot of times during that series, I'd be like, no, no, folks, focus, keep focusing on that. <laughs> Let him finish yeah. his thought, you know. It is uh, is very interesting. Some of the people that they the talent that they got were able to get uh, Richard Donner for the Omen, and there's yeah. some, there's some others that are pretty notable. Uh, so yeah, it's worth checking out. So Soldier Blue from 1970 is a release from Kino Lorber. This stars Kenneth Bergen and Peter Bergen, Strauss yeah. and Donald Pleasance. So um, yeah, the poster promises to be savagery like you've never seen before. Uh, this, yeah. one of, this one of the 70s movies I'm having to cover, Soldier Blue. I was going to mention that. I was going to ask about that. You, know, you read my mind. I figured it was. So, uh, The Comfort of Strangers from 1990. That's a Criterion release. Criterion has put that. Paul Schrader. Yeah. Uh, 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 speaking of, was it Rupert? Was it Rupert Everett that was the male lead in that? It, he was, wasn't he? He is. We just mentioned him earlier. Yes. Yeah, Natasha Richardson yeah. and Christopher Walken. And uh, Christopher Walken, in what he says, is the only role he's ever played that personally disturbed him. <laughs> Interesting. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful, sweeping score from uh, Badalamente. Uh, very, mm-hmm. very romantic, dark score. It's uh, I'm I'm glad they did it as well. I'm I'm with you on that. They've uh, there's some nice extras on here. Let's see. We'll get to the, the what they are. They have um, a new video interview with Paul Schrader. It's about 18 minutes. They have uh, a new video interview with Christopher Walken. Uh, mm-hmm. A new interview with um, a new edit of an archival interview with Natasha Richardson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dante Spinotti is interviewed in a new interview. Uh, Bill Panko. Uh, who's oh, the editor? Panko, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so there you go. Kino has issued. Uh, I'll just mention a couple of uh, quite a few films that they put out here. They've done um, the Red Ball Express, Wake Island, uh, Wake Island from 1942, the Red Ball Express from 1952 with Jeff Chandler, uh, Backlash from 1956 with Richard Widmark and Donna Reed, <laughs> and Frederick March and Cary Grant and The Eagle and the Hawk from 1933. So just wanted to mention all those. And Town Bloody Hall from 1979 is a Criterion release. Um, that's a documentary by D.A. Pinnebreaker and Chris <laughs> Hegedus. A debate between Norman Mailer and four feminists, which I hear is quite good, and I've always wanted to see this. Wow! Yeah. Uh, so they probably that, they probably kick his that ass. That sounds good. Uh, oh, I bet, I bet. I do want to see this. I it, it has a reputation that precedes it. So, Town Bloody Hall. Is that a short uh, doc or feature? No, it's a feature. It's a feature wow. film. Wow, that's yeah, like Town it's Bloody like a feature version of that Cavett episode. Yes, exactly. Wow. It's 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 basically that, from what I'm told. I, and I did get a review copy. <laughs> that's just. I do want to. I'm gonna have to get this one. I believe. So. That's just delicious. I mean, he was yeah. such, he was such a blowhard and a troublemaker. And... Yeah, that's what makes him such a great, an interesting character for that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, old boyfriends from 1979, starring yeah. Talia Shire and Belushi. Where... Right? Was Belushi in that one? Belushi, one of John Belushi's few films, of course. And speaking of Paul Schrader, he wrote this one along with his brother, Leonard mm. Schrader, directed by Joan Tewksbury, who, of yeah. course, wrote 
Nashville. It was a regular so, Altman collaborator, yeah. She was. Didn't she write uh, Thieves Like Us, I believe, as well? Mm-hmm. She was right in there with you know other ones like Alan Rudolph. And then she mm-hmm. kind of ventured off to try her own stuff, yeah. Yeah. This movie... It was was not very well critically received. I have not seen it, but I know that it's been very hard to find. So I'm just glad Kino has taken the time to put it out there. Yeah, uh, good for them. Uh, it's it's uh, but old boyfriends. Talia Shire uh, has now been issued in Belushi, as we just mentioned. Raid on Rommel, starring Richard Burton from 1971. That's another Kino release. Just wanted to mention that one too. Uh, like I said, they're they're really pumping them out out this month. Uh, along with a new collection of those forbidden films, Forbidden Fruit Volume Six, which has a lot of those uh, those movies that we're always talking about, the the kind of the stuff like Reefer Madness and so on and so forth. Uh, it's it's a new collection of those type of films. Ice Castles from 1979 with Robbie wow. Benson has been issued by Sony as a, for the first time on Blu-ray. I know this one has a lot of. A lot of fans. Speaking of Marvin Hamlish, wonderful score by Marvin Hamlish for this film. I think huh. just a great romantic score with the uh, the title theme, uh, uh, looking through the eyes of love, which is sung by Melissa Manchester and barely missed the top forty as a single. Beautiful song, beautiful score, and not a bad movie either. Of course, it's uh, you know she's. Uh, Robbie Benson and uh, I'm trying to think of what's uh, Lynn Holly Johnson was the the girl. Mm-hmm. She's a figure skater and she's blinded and he has to. He's her boyfriend, of course, and has to uh, help her retrain. And they try to keep her uh, her malady a secret from everybody, so she's not so she doesn't have to give up her dream of being in the competition. But it's a it's a very touching touching film. Uh, remade by its director 30 years later in 2009, which I have not seen that, but the same director went and remade the the film with a new cast 30 years later. So yeah. Anyway, I remember asking Tom Skerritt if there were any films in his filmography that he felt were unjustly overlooked. Yeah. And Ice Castles was one of them that he mentioned. He said, Good. though it was popular, but people don't talk about it anymore. I guess. Yeah, I'm glad he said that. That's 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 good. Robbie yeah, Benson, man. Is, Robbie Benson was popular for a second there, wasn't he? I mean, that was. Oh yeah, one on one. Yeah. And of course, it was the other big movie he had that. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of this movie he made in '73. That's called Jeremy. That's such a beautiful, sweet oh, yeah. movie. Talk about these movies that get to you, man. I mean, the ending of that movie is just oh, beautiful movie. It's it's, it's, a, it's a very simple. Sweet movie with he and uh, Glennis, Glennis O'Connor, and they're teenagers, and they basically just it's early love. They fall in love, and mm. and it's very ten- he's a real smart kid, doesn't fit in. You know, he plays uh, I think he plays a classic. He plays some sort of woodwind instrument. I can't remember what it is he plays in the film, but anyway, he's he's not very well. He plays chess, you know, kind of kid that doesn't fit in, and then they fall in love and. And she's uh, a misfit as well, and they fit together so perfectly. And then her dad uh, basically takes another job, and she's going to have to leave, and they only have so much time together. Oh, just a beautiful movie, beautiful wow. movie. So, yeah, I was on yeah. Amazon Prime the other day and and selected Harry and Son, and I watched like 10, yeah. minutes, 10 minutes of it, and I was like, okay, that's, an, that's enough of that. <laughs> that's enough. I've seen it before. Yeah, he was uh... – he he was a, a heartthrob there for a while. You're right. What's the 
What's the one he did? The, the Chosen. That's the other one he did. I remember oh. that one from the early 80s. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of them. So uh, Clara's Heart, we'll move along to that, from uh, 1988 starring... Uh, this basic, Whoopi Goldberg, right? It's just Whoopi Goldberg and Michael Aunt King and Kathleen Quinlan, Spalding Gray. Okay. And, I'm, yeah, thinking of, I'm thinking of The Long Walk Home, the Sissy Space. You are, okay. yes. Clara's Heart, yes. yeah. Yeah. This is the one that introduced Neil Patrick Harris to the world, his movie debut. And uh, directed by Robert Mulligan, who, of course, did Summer of 42, which I'm a fan of, and The Other, which I'm also a fan of. Yeah. And most people know him from To Kill a Mockingbird, which is also good. Uh, you know, it's basically yeah. about... To Kill a uh, Mockingbird isn't bad. <laughs> well, not bad. It's not a good bad movie to have on your resume. <laughs> yes, it is. So he's... He, uh, and The Man in the Moon is another one. He uh, mm-hmm. discovered, kind of somewhat discovered Reese Witherspoon, because that was her film debut. But anyway, he was good at picking out these young kid actors and kind of launching their careers like Neil Patrick Harris and Reese Witherspoon. And this is a, you know, I remember I got horrible reviews when it came out. So I had kind of shied away from it. I didn't want to watch it. because I was like, is it really that bad? But actually it turns out it's actually pretty good. Uh, and not, I mean, it's not, I'm not going to tell you it's great, but it's not bad at all. And it's a sweet little movie where, you know, Whoopi Goldberg is a, is a Jamaican maid who comes to live with his family and the parents are breaking up. Their marriage is breaking up. Michael Aunt Keen and Kathleen Quinlan and uh, Neil Patrick Harris is having a real tough time processing this. And she helps him to get through this new traumatic change in his life. And it's a, uh, it's a sweet little movie. It really mm. is. So uh, anyway, uh, Claire's heart. And so we'll, uh, we'll move along. Um, uh, moving on. I think arrow has released the last house on the left again. Not why this time the 1972 they've released it previously but it's coming up on the list here so anyway um, but we'll move along to August 19th the Heavenly Kid from 1985 has been issued by Scorpion releasing and distributed by Kino this starred uh, I remember seeing previews for this in the theater but uh, Richard Mulligan Robert Mulligan's brother actually who was an actor. Uh, speaking of Robert Mulligan and Mark Metcalf are in this one, who uh, of course from the the Twisted Sister video. I'm sure I saw this when I was a kid. Is the yeah, po- pretty- is the poster like some uh, a a leather jacket clad kid in the clouds or something? That's the one. That's yeah. the one. Okay. Very good, man. Very good. Very good. California Dreaming from 1979 is another Scorpion release. Starring Dennis Christopher mm. and Glennis O'Connor. Wow, these people were just the ones we're mentioning prior, and they just <laughs> it's so funny they're coming back. Uh, directed by John D. Hancock and starring wow. also Seymour Cassell. And uh, anyway, Tanya Roberts in this one too. Tanya so Roberts. Oh my God. I mean, what? Yeah. What? That's a time vault right there. <laughs> I yes. interviewed Hancock, and I didn't ask him about California Dreaming. That's yep, interesting. Come- Tanya Roberts. I got to hang on. I got to look her up. Oh, go right ahead. I got to look up Sheena. I got to see what's what's happening nowadays. She's got, <laughs> she's got an official website. Was she a Charlie's Angel? I didn't know that. She was. A, yeah, she was also in one of the James Bond films, the the Living. And I mean, uh, a Beautiful Kill. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. It's only older photos of her. Yeah. But, uh, what is her birth name? Do you know? Tanya Roberts no. is a stage name. Her real name. Really? Her real name is Victoria Lee Bloom. Wow, I had no idea. The Beastmaster. That's made the news in the past couple of weeks, because they've lost a print or something with the Beastmaster. That's right, yeah. The, the, the Master has been 
lost. That's true. I yeah. guess the producer got it or something and, and put it in his attic, and then the producer moved to a different place. I think you're right. Yeah. So they don't know where the print is. And I read the whole story, and my first question was, well, have you talked to the current house owners? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. If you put it in their attic, uh, maybe it's still there. This is true. Impossible. Anyway, so we'll uh, we'll breeze through these right quick. Uh, the last uh, release date in August, August 25th, we had Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. How about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, surprisingly, uh, this this one has an interesting cast in it. Uh, a lot of people who would later go on to bigger things. Among them, we have. Um, uh, Steve Buscemi is in this, along with Julianne Moore. Very early roles for both of them. Mm. And you also have Christian Slater and Debbie Harry and uh, William Hickey and Radon Chong. There's another one that we don't hear from yeah, much. Radon <laughs> Chong. So this has uh, new interviews with director John Harrison, producer Mitchell Galen, audio commentary with John Harrison, and co-screenwriter George Romero, and uh, trailer, TV spots, and much more. Yeah, it was, uh, of course, obviously a... A spinoff from the uh, the uh, Tales from the Dark Side television show, and uh, I think it's kind of ho hum. I don't think m- many of the stories actually work from for my taste, but I know it does have its fans. So Tales from the Dark Side, the movie has been issued the new transfer, and it's looking better than ever, and all that stuff. So uh, we have the Universal Horror Collection Volume Six from Scream Factory, and Tales from the Dark Side is a Scream Factory release. In case I opted to mention that, uh, forgot to mention that. Uh, uh, the Black Castle from 1952, Cult of the Cobra from 1955, The Thing That Couldn't Die from 1958, and The Shadow of the Cat from 1961, which is actually a uh, a Hammer film that was distributed by Universal. Uh, all of these in the new Universal Horror Collection, Volume 6, with new 2K scans of each film and audio commentary, still galleries on many of these films. So if you're a fan of the Universal Horror titles, well, they're they're pumping the, they keep on pumping them out, and so there you have it. We have new 4K releases of a couple couple of the uh, Lucio Fulci horror titles. The House by the Cemetery and the New York Ripper have been issued on 4K by Blue Underground. So hmm. anyway, um, Hollywood Land from night from 2006. Decent the, movie. Yeah, yeah, not bad. About the uh, the mysterious, the strange death of um, George Reeves, who played Superman, of course. Yeah, it, it is one of those where I mean, I don't know how much of it is how much of Adrian Brody's character is based on a real person. Is it? I don't even know if it is. Uh, I'm not sure either. But it, if it wasn't, it does feel like a the predominant subplot, and you wish it was more about the side subplot, which was the George yeah. Reeves story. But so, uh, uh, directed, uh, written and directed by a Sopranos writer. Uh, Alan Coulter, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and interviewed also, I interviewed him when Gandolfini died. Really? I yeah, couldn't yeah. remember that. We did I a didn't. we did a memoriam thing for him, and he was one I of the people that, that agreed yeah. to be interviewed. Yeah. yeah, he directed quite a few episodes of One uh, um, Six Feet Under. I'm sorry, which I'm a huge right. fan of. So uh, a big big fan of that. So, The Beast Must Die, a werewolf film from 1974 that starred – it's one of these British films that starred Peter Cushing and Charles Gray and Michael Gambon, Calvin Lockhart. Severin Films has done a 4K restoration on this. just want to get that out there. Pat and Mike has been issued by the Warner Archive, uh, the classic comedy that starred 
Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy, one of their uh, classic pairings. This one directed by George Cukor and written by Ruth Gordon and her husband, Garson Kanan. Oh. So uh, anyway, I, I know that a lot of fans of Pat and Mike, and they've done a new restoration on this. It looks better than ever. So I wanted to mention that. And speaking of Tanya Roberts, it's funny. They, uh, again, it's funny how we keep coming back to these these people. Uh, the Last Victim from 1975. This must have been one of her first films. Dark Force Entertainment has issued this one on Blu-ray. And I wasn't even familiar familiar with this one, but I saw that she was in the cast, and I said, you know, I can't not say something about this. <laughs> it's just We just talked about that. Uh, yeah, so The Trip to Greece. I know this is a more recent film, but I wanted to make sure people knew uh, that the fourth film in the Trip series, and supposedly the final one with Steve Coogan and... Uh, Rob Bryden, as they go around, their restaurant critics who go around to different restaurants and argue and do celebrity impressions. And they're, all these films are really funny, I think, and well done. And their latest one, and supposedly their last, The Trip to Greece. Is getting who, directs, good who directs all those? Michael Winterbottom. Right. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Those uh, those celebrity impressions they do. I don't know if you've seen if you've seen the first one where they do the impressions of all the James Bond actors. They do the Sean Connery and Pierce Brosnan and yeah, oh, it's hysterical, man. That's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of those clips are out there. The Michael yeah. Caine and all that stuff. Yeah, that's so great. Yeah. Anyway, I'd recommend it if you're a fan of these, and they really are fun. And Einstein's Universe is a. Um, a two-part BBC program from 1979 that's been remastered. It's a very uh, informative and educational two-hour BBC program about the theories of Einstein's theories. This has been issued by Corinth Films and uh, restored and remastered. And uh, I want to mention that. A couple more titles here from Screen Factory, Death Sport. I think this is a Shop Factory release. It's two of the Roger Corman films are limited to a thousand units. They've only pressed a thousand of these, so get them while you can. Attack of the Crab Monsters and Death Sport from Scream and Shout Factory. Mm. And um, and another Criterion release, the 1935 film Tony, which star it's uh, one of G- Jean Renoir's films, one of his early films. Jean Renoir, the get, Tony. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, Tony, Jean Renoir. Yes. Uh, Tony, 1935, yes. And uh, anyway, it's uh, one of his early ones, a new transfer, new extras, all of that. So a Criterion release for Tony. And um, the Reginald Denny collection, and we're not talking about the Reginald Denny who was uh, pulled out of his truck and assaulted in the 1990s. We're talking about the silent film That's star. a totally different co- Blu-ray collection. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, that's different. Uh, anyway, that's been issued by Kino uh, Lorber, of course. Uh, they've done a, uh, a release on that. And um, just a couple more titles here. Uh, we have uh, Black Test Car plus I'm not familiar with this actually it's an Arrow video release but Black Test Car plus the Black Report which is a Japanese uh, huh. these films are connected somehow uh, anyway they've both been issued by Arrow what year video. is that what year is that it's a uh, 1962 to 1963 oh. okay so it wasn't inspired by Knight Rider <laughs> no uh, right. no it wasn't inspired by that uh, and we'll mention this one, well, I guess we'll kind of go out on this one. This is uh, one of the uh, the final ones we'll talk about here. I guess we'll make this one the final one, actually. 
uh, is Breezy from 1973, yeah. which was the directorial debut for Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. I'm no, not his direct, but the, I mean his directorial debut in which he was not a an actor is what I'm trying to say. I'll get it out. This Christopherson uh, and Diane Cannon or something. Um, it is actually Kaylins and William Holden. Got so close. <laughs> Man, I was right there. The morning is a friend of mine. It always plays my song. And any time I ask the wind, it lets me tag along. Each other laugh. 